Thank you, and welcome to the Wednesday, February 14th, 2024 meeting of the Redmond Planning Commission. We'll start with the roll call. Commissioner Woodyear. Present. Uh, Commissioner Van Nyman. Present. Uh, turn on your mic. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Sheffron. Present. Uh, Vice Chair Weston. Present. And I am Chair Sherry Nichols. Commissioner Aparna is excused tonight. Uh, joining us tonight from the staff are Chip Cornwell, Jeff Churchill, Odra Cardenas, Lauren Albert, Becky Fry, Josh Muller, Glenn Coyle, Jenny Liebeck, and Ian Lefcourt. I look for, uh, I forgot to call the meeting to order. Use my gavel. Uh, look for a motion to approve the agenda. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And the agenda is approved. Uh, look for a motion to approve the meeting minutes from January 31st, 2024. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And the meeting minutes are approved. Uh, this is the... Mm, this is the time in the audience in the time in the audience. This is the time in the meeting when we accept public comment from the audience on any subject that is not the subject of a public hearing tonight. We have one person to sign up and that is David M. Good evening, commissioners. I'm David Morton, 19934 Northeast Union Hill Road, Redmond, 98053. In 2011, the city of Redmond became a founding member of the King County Cities Climate Collaboration, or K4C. The K4C has not been as effective as it could be, partly because it's not transparent. K4C meetings are not open to the public, and meeting notes are not publicly posted. To increase transparency, the People for Climate Action urges K4C's partner cities to support four changes to K4C's operations. One, publish meeting agendas at least three business days before meetings. Two, make meetings open to the public. Three, allow public comment at meetings. And four, post live video and recordings of the meetings online. Publishing meeting agendas in advance ensures that everyone, including planning commissioners, can stay informed and engaged in regional climate discussions. Open meetings foster public trust and allow for broader collaboration, ensuring that Redmond's unique perspective is considered. <laughs> Enabling public comments during, pu during pu meetings ensures accountability. Making live videos and recordings available online promotes effective communication and educational opportunities and demonstrates success stories that inspire innovative land use policies aligned with climate action. By supporting these changes, the Planning Commission can show its commitment to democratic governance, informed public participation, and collaborative efforts that transcend jurisdictional boundaries. Embracing transparency within K4C strengthens your roles as advisors and contributes to the collective pursuit of sustainable and resilient urban planning. So first, I ask the Planning Commission to please consider these changes to the K4C to enhance Redmond's regional collaboration for a climate-conscious future. 
Second, it's important to support key state legislative measures which bear relevance to your role in shaping our city's future. House Bill 1433 establishes a statewide home energy score standard. As stewards of Redmond's land use policies, your support for this bill is pivotal. A standardized home energy score brings market transparency and empowers home buyers with crucial information on energy efficiency and carbon footprint. This enhances consumer awareness and incentivizes property owners to invest in energy efficient upgrades that increase property values. The adoption of a home energy score standard aligns seamlessly with Redmond's climate action goals, fosters public consciousness, and contributes to emissions reduction. And it will stimulate job creation within Redmond as demand for home improvements rises. House Bill 1391 introduces an information assistance program for building owners seeking to enhance energy efficiency and lower greenhouse gas emissions. The program facilitates education for building owners and guides them to resources and funding for energy efficient improvements. By helping building owners make informed decisions, the bill reduces community greenhouse gas emissions and promotes investments and economic growth through job creation. House Bill 1589 focuses on utility fuel switch incentives and advocates for replacing gas with electric space and water heating. By reducing greenhouse gas emissions associated with natural gas combustion, the bill supports Redmond's climate and sustainability goals. It creates economic opportunities by promoting the transition to electric heating and fosters job creation and economic growth. Conversely, Initiative 2117 poses a threat to the progress made by the Climate Commitment Act, which is crucial for achieving emission reduction targets. I-2117 weakens the Climate Commitment Act, compromises the state's ability to address climate change, and hinders efforts to mitigate climate impacts and meet greenhouse gas reduction goals. In summary, support for these bills and opposition to I-2117 aligns with a commitment to sustainable land use policies. Your influence contributes to the city's commitment to combat climate change, promote energy efficiency, and enhance environmental sustainability. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no one else in the audience, and uh, no one signed up ahead of time to, uh, to call in. That concludes items from the audience. We will move on to uh, Redmond 2050 Phase 2A policies, Human Services Element and Annexation and Regional Planning Element, Public Hearing and Study Session. Ian. Thank you, Chair Nichols. I'm joined I will be doing the human services element portion of this presentation and doing the annexation and regional planning portion is. Hi, my name is Olga Cardenas, a planner with Longridge Planning, pronouns she, her. Perfect. The agenda tonight is we're going to introduce the public hearing, uh, hold the public hearing. We do not have anyone who signed up to speak, and we did not get anyone who wanted to present uh, via telephone. Then we'll continue the study session. As a reminder, we only had two items on our issues matrix from last uh, meeting, so we'll see if we uh, can resolve that tonight. 
And if the commission is feeling uh, comfortable, we would request uh, that the commission direct staff uh, with a recommendation, in which case we can integrate any small changes between now and the next meeting and get that report ready for an approval. Uh, as a reminder, the key policy updates to the housing element uh, really touch on three components of making the elements more accessible with the language, emphasizing our values of equity, inclusivity, and making sure that there was uh, explicit policy direction for the expansion, strengthening, and collaboration of our human services team. Uh, yes, for the annexation of regional planning element, uh, also simplifying the language and consolidating the policies were the key policy updates. Um, um, updating the the potential annexation areas map because we have less uh, potential annexation areas available and including in this map and in the text uh, some new policies regarding orphan growth and pre-annexation agreements. So this is one of the big updates, the, the potential annexation areas map, uh, where we can see we only have four potential annexation areas left. And we actually received a notice of intent to annex for the 97th Street uh, in Rose Hill, which is on, on, the, on the left. So um, these were the biggest updates to the element. So um, we have an, an issues matrix of um, issues that were raised last meeting, and we can go over them right now. If you can share, Ian. Uh, before we hop into the issues matrix, do we want to open the public hearing? Yes, we'll yeah. open the public hearing. But there's nobody signed up for the public hearing. <laughs> Perfect. So I will close the public hearing. <laughs> All right. Item one. Uh, so the um, there was an issue in having... Um, more explicit language to emphasize that the city does not initiate annexation and the residents or um, citizens or owners must initiate it. So we added a little bit of um, a text that explains it a little bit more. And um, I don't know if you have any questions on this, this one. So this is exactly what I was hoping to see. Thank you so much for adding it. Thank you. We can close that issue. Yeah, closed. And the next one was also emphasizing uh, that we do not, not choose our potential annexation areas that they are assigned to us. So we added a little bit more of context on where these PAAs come from. And this is the same thing. I just, I really appreciate the extra clarity and I'm ready to close. Thank you. And that's all the items that were on the issues matrix. Do commissioners have any other items that you would like to add to the issues matrix. I, I had a comment just on consistency in the document. I don't okay. know that I want to use this time to go over like, like little nets. You can email. That, or offline. You can send an email. It's really a matter of consistency. Okay. Yeah, that can be in. Okay. 
Are there any issues that commissioners would like to add to the issues matrix? Any discussion? Would a commissioner like to make a motion? So, I'd like to make a motion to um, accept the element, the human services element as written. Make a, uh, I, didn't we, hear, I didn't hear you. Yeah. So what we would do is uh, we want to recommend approval. How do we want to say it? We want to, let me get back to what staff is recommending. We can make a uh, recommendation to f have staff bring forward a planning commission report. Manager Churchill has put exact language in the chat that we can read verbatim. Move to recommend approval of the blank element city council. Wonderful. I move to recommend approval of the human services element to the city council. Do you want to do just the human services or you want to do human services and and annexation and regional planning and regional planning. <laughs> yes, I would like to do all three. I move that. Okay. I'd like to second. Any discussion? It sounds like we still have some cleaning up we might be doing. I would like to submit in writing some in, uh, some comments to the the, uh, the uh, yeah the I staff. think and they're they're not substantial. I don't want to spend hours talking about fonts and and colors and stuff like that. But there was some minor inconsistency, and as long as they uh, as long as you, you guys address it, I'm I'm fine. Yeah, I think that can. If they're, unless they're substantive they're issues. Not, not it, it doesn't change the, the substance, but there are inconsistencies that just need to be cleaned up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then all in favor? Aye. 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 And the motion passes. Thank you. And may I add a point of clarification? When um, does staff need those um, changes in order to get everything ready? Uh, we would appreciate it if we could get it by next Tuesday. I'm gonna send it tonight because I already have it, but I just don't wanna spend 30 minutes talking about yeah. minor detail. Great. Okay. Then we will move on to Ribbon 2050 transportation element and related regulations, final draft study session and potential recommendation. And Jeff. Good evening, commissioners. I appreciate the opportunity to join you remotely this evening. I'm looking around on the camera to see if Josh Mueller is in the building. I heard his he name is. earlier. He is. He's hiding he is. back here. Josh, do you want to? Josh, would you like to come to the table? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, <clears throat> just to recap, kind of where we are. Um, uh, staff introduced this. On January 10th, you received the technical committee report and recommendation on January 24th. Commission held a public hearing on January 31st and received a few written comments between then and tonight, February 14th. And so we have uh, three open issues on the issues matrix, which I'm going to share here shortly, um, that we can go through. And if there's and then there's additional discussion based on any of the um, written comments that came in since the last meeting. Uh, we can discuss that. And then if we reach a point where the Planning Commission is ready to make a recommendation, we can do that. 
or if that doesn't happen, we can bring it back for recommendation on the 28th. So let me bring up the issues matrix. <clears throat> and this is currently open to issue 15, uh, which was about trips taken by children, students, um, generally. And I didn't add anything here. Uh, what you what we wrote in the, men, the, the memo, rather, is, I, is that we combined kind of the response in issue 24. So if, if it's okay to hold the discussion on this for a minute. Yep, that's great. Okay. So let's go to issue 17 then, which is about communication and education about the transportation system. I think what we heard at the last meeting is that the commission wanted this concept in a place where it would apply broadly. And so we uh, are proposing to take it out of policy TR-29, which really is about parking, and put it in pro uh, policy TR-45, which is about the transportation master plan, and include a statement there that's says include education and communication as core components of transportation programs, programs, projects, and services. And then the transportation master plan would um, include more details on kind of what that might look like, kind of depending on the type of project, program, or service that we're talking about. That's great. Thank you. So we can close that one? Yes. All right. Uh, very good. Then moving on to issue 24. Uh, this was generated out of a little bit of issue 15 and then some discussion on the 31st about um, just issues of um, focused congestion around schools and around other places where students or youth are gathering at a specific time of day. Um, <clears throat> and so I think we heard one thing was to kind of identify this issue pretty explicitly in the elements. So that's one thing we heard. So something that's addressed with the paragraph of text here that starts with school and youth related trips. And then the second thing was to talk about what is it, what is it that we want to achieve? Um, and that is more in the policy itself here, which is it would be a new policy and it would be in the transportation demand management section of the element. And we looked around for different places where kind of this would have, where there would be a best fit. And the paragraph talks a little bit about why, why TDM. And really the, the why is because the issue that we're hearing commissioners identify, um, there, are, there are many, but like the, the one I think we're hearing you identify um, most is the issue of too many vehicles in, in one place at the same time. And that really is um, a transportation demand management issue, although it certainly has other, there are certainly other aspects of it. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. This really addresses, it gets right to the root of the issue. Um, so I love the new policy. I love the text around it, um, the extra narrative. I just, I think that this really, it's a thorny problem and to take it and just distill it like this is awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Yeah, I, I like putting it in policy. I think it's a, a good way of putting it in policy language and then we can look at solutions once we've got it in a policy language. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and I'm ready to close, but 
also if other people yeah. have comments. I'm ready to close. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You know, it, it it's written, I, I think it's, we're listening, but also because you, you brought it up and, and I think discussed it, um, it in enough detail that we had an understanding of where you wanted to take this. So thank you. So th that's all the issues that were on the matrix. Commissioners, are there more issues for the matrix? Any more discussion, concerns, questions? I just have a comment. Um, I feel like transportation is one of those really, really difficult subject. It's just, it's emotional. It's like everyone, it impacts everyone in a very real way every day. Um, and so this plan carries a lot of weight, but I also just th can see how much thought went into it and how careful it is, um, to both to be um, accurate in what we're representing and then also try to lay some real framework for how to approach it going forward. And I just really appreciate that. I know it's not, there isn't a magical wand that like anyone can wave and it easy for everyone, but it's just, it's a real um, multidisciplinary approach and like truly multimodal. I appreciate all of the focus on making the language equitable. Um, I just, I really like where this is now and I appreciate all the hard work. Indeed. Well, if there aren't any more issues and there aren't any more questions or concerns, is the commissioner ready to make a motion? I'll try this again. I move to recommend approval of the transportation element and related regulations to the city council. Okay. Is there a second? I second that. <laughs> Is there any more discussion? If not, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Then the motion carries. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Now we will move on to Redmond 2050 climate resilience elements study session. Glenn and Jenny. I just want to observe that it's been four, three, four years of a lot of work to get to the point where we're making motions to approve elements of the, <laughs> We started working on this in 2020. <laughs> but we have a plan that works. Mm -hmm. So I think we should all be excited about mm -hmm. that. All right, good evening, council members, and uh, happy Valentine's Day. Um, Glenn Coyle, planner, long-range planning. I'm joined with my colleague, Jenny Liebeck, environmental sustainability manager. Uh, we are here tonight to review the issues matrix for the climate resilience and sustainability element, which is a new element of the Redmond 2050 plan. Uh, we were here in the beginning of at some point in January to discuss the, the second draft of this element, and we did not have um, the time to discuss the, or go over the issues matrix from the first uh, draft. But uh, subsequently, um, we've been able to um, have that ready for everybody and also um, respond to some of the comments we received on the second draft. Um, additionally, um, 
we actually received some additional um, feedback and uh, comments from uh, Commissioner Parner uh, related to some of the open issues. Um, we received that uh, last night, so we were able to uh, update that um, and have some responses for that. So we thank Commissioner Parner um, for that. So with that said, um, I'm going to pull up the issues matrix and just so we can review um, that right now. All right. Um, the first issue here um, was mentioned by um, Vice Chair uh, Weston, Commissioner Parner, and um, Council Member Nuva Kamina, formerly uh, Commissioner. Um, so, kind of note that, um, and also um, Commissioner Parner provided some additional uh, comments on on our response, actually, in her um, most recent comments there. So we actually will be addressing her additional comment for the final draft. Um, so we can keep that open um, for the final draft if, if you prefer. Okay. Um, I think that makes sense to me. I, in general, I like to leave things open if um, the commissioner wasn't here to close that. And I know that language. Right. We, uh, we, we got feedback specifically from oh, that she's willing. Parna to see. Is this one of the ones she wanted to leave open? or I, I believe so because she had an additional comment there yeah. that actually we are going yeah. to address. But yeah, I, yeah. I would um, yeah. recommend that we just leave that one open yeah. for the final draft. Yeah, and we'll definitely um, just review after the final draft. Yeah. Don't wait on the final draft until it's closed. We, uh, we wanted feedback from her to make sure because she had so many, we wanted to be able to close. Yes. We didn't want to have to leave everything open uh, because this totally is just agree. draft two, and so we're not coming back until draft three. We wanted to, so. Yep, that sounds good to me. All right, thank you. Um, uh, the second issue is actually I wanted to draw attention to the commissioners here tonight um, regarding uh, the commute trip reduction programs. Um, and. Um, as noted, we did update this policy in the second draft um, to reflect the discussion uh, during the first draft. I'm fine with it. So can we close that issue? Okay, yeah. thank you. Let me just make a note of that. Don't look at my spelling, um, please. <laughs> okay. Um, issue number three, um, upon her and uh, her email, which was as noted, was forwarded to commission. Um, she asked for this one to be closed. Um, uh, issue number four was also commissioner upon her. Um, let's see. I believe, yeah, she did not make any comment on that. So um, I'm gonna, we're going to follow up with her um, if she wanted that closed or open. Is there any commission discussion besides on this particular item? Um, I just, I really agree with um, the emphasis on drought as being a more of a consideration going forward. So I think that I would also like to see this held open just so we can review in the final draft.
issue number five um, was Commissioner Parner's item. Um, as we noted, for the second draft, we added a new policy related around this issue, um, and she asked for this to be closed. So, uh, Issue number six, Parna also asked for this to be closed. Um, I believe, just trying to see what this response was. It was a lot. Um, and we did add a policy in the drought subsection um, to respond to her comments there, so. Um, number seven um, was related to transportation land use from Commissioner Parner, um, and she had noted um, that we could close this. Um, and we, as staff, we noted that we had updated this policy, um, which was related to um, the transportation demand, I believe. So, um, number eight. was also Commissioner Parner, and I believe, let's see, yes, yeah, she wanted this open. Um, she had additional comments, and um, we're gonna respond to that for the final draft. So I'm gonna have some updated language on that, but we'll keep that open for the final draft. Um, issue number nine, um, I believe we responded on that for the, um, on that, she also asked for that to be closed, so. And let's see, number 10, um, Commissioner Parner had some additional um, suggestions um, and we're reviewing um, those suggestions for the final draft. So we'll keep that one open. Um, and then there was a couple of, let's see, there was a couple issues for the second draft. Um, and I believe, yeah, we have not really, uh, we're, we're in the process of addressing those for the final draft, so. Um, those will still remain open. So okay. that's, that's all we have. And I'll just note that we'll, we'll be coming back for the final draft and at the, uh, tentatively at the March 27th meeting. So um, we're right now working on the final draft internally with staff and management and directors. So and that's all we have for tonight. Okay. Uh, does commissioners have anything else they'd like to add to the issues of matrix this time? Okay. Just it's shaping up really well. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Now we'll move on to Ribbon 2050 Downtown Marymore and Mixed Use Zoning Concepts Briefing. Lauren and Becky and Odra. Yeah, zipping right through. <laughs> it's because of all the work we've done for years to get here. <laughs> to all those other long meetings we've had. Good evening. Just in the PowerPoint pulled up. Lauren Alpert, senior planner, she, her pronouns. Okay, good evening commissioners. We're here tonight to introduce zoning concepts for a couple of different places. Um, these are the implementation of things that we've already decided on. So it's not completely new, but it's actually taking what we put in policy and actually pulling it into our brand new zoning districts. 
So what we have tonight is to introduce how we're moving forward um, and then get feedback from you on, are we moving in the right direction? Does it sound like it's implementing what we thought we were implementing? Have we missed anything? So um, we'll come back a little bit later with more details. We'll actually have draft zoning districts for you to review. But right now it's just getting an introduction to those concepts and uh, walking through what the framework of them, what they look like, and then the direction that we're moving in. So just a reminder of where we are in this process. We've been through several years of visioning. Uh, we went through and developed and published our preferred growth alternative through the EIS. Again, now we're actually at the code writing piece uh, before we can implement that. Um, the framework of a lot of this, uh, as you know, one of the big drives of what we were working on is to consolidate zoning districts. We were also doing a lot of simplification on our land use categories as well. Um, this does include streamlining the land use chart, and you'll see some of that um, in a future meeting, and that's actually going to be pretty exciting. But we're also trying to simplify what a zoning district is. And for instance, like our downtown zoning districts, are extremely long and convoluted and there's a lot of criteria that depend on the parcel size and we're just trying to really super simplify and be consistent in our structure of what is actually in a zoning district. So I'm going to turn it over to Lauren to walk through the first couple of sections. So. Um, as Becky said, downtown, some of the key changes for downtown are, is that consolidating zone. So we're going from something like 12 zones to three zones for downtown and getting rid of a lot of those sub areas, especially in Redmond Town Center. Um, we're doing some modest, some little increases in height and density. Um, and those are largely to accommodate um, the growth that we projected in the preferred growth alternative. So we wanted to make sure any density we're adding accommodates for that growth. Um, we're also looking at updating our incentives in downtown, um, similar to what some of the things we saw in Overlake in terms of affordable housing and com affordable commercial, inclusive design and use specific incentives. So incentivizing um, some of those uses that we find valuable. Um, and we're still drafting that. It's gonna look, it'll look the same, but it'll be different from Overlake, but it's a similar in concept to, that we're looking at in terms of the point system. Um, so here you see those three zones in these purple and blue shades. So town center, our downtown core, which we're in right now, um, and our downtown edge. Um, and then also you see our proposed line for our uh, the transit-oriented development area. So some of the differences um, in these, and so you see the, down, the town center and downtown core are, are very similar um, in terms of our height, a little bit difference in the floor area ratio that FAR is a little bit different in the center and downtown core and the edge, um, even less uh, density and height. Um, and then also something to note is in the town center and the downtown core, um, both of those have increased height and FAR. Um, when they're within that TOD, that transit-oriented development focus area. So once again, incentivizing development in those TOD areas. So here you can just uh, zoom in on kind of the town center and where that is, and some pictures of town center and downtown core. We should be familiar with downtown core. It's where City Hall is. It's where downtown park is. 
um, and our downtown edge. So that, that sort of less dense um, areas on our edges that will be um, abutting some more residential areas of the city. And then here's a zoomed in kind of of our TOD focus area. So some of the things that we considered, you know, that close proximity, that a quarter mile um, around the station, looking at that 10 minute walk shed, and then also looking at respecting that old town historic core, which is its own district now, but will be kind of into the downtown core moving forward and also respecting that downtown edge boundary. So not going into there. Anything you want to add? Yeah, if, do we, are there questions on downtown before we move on or comments? It's sort of a um, like topical question. Does the zoning code distinguish between um, affordable housing and supportive housing? Supportive housing is a separate category um, and it is treated that way because this, the law, the state laws treats it separately. Uh, but we do have um, in the use chart, it makes it very clear that supportive housing is allowed, but basically anywhere uh, regular housing would be allowed. Great, thank you. Do we feel like we're in the right direction? Anything you think is missing, Lauren? Okay. Obviously, there's a lot missing in the actual text, but... <laughs> Okay. I think one of the biggest things that I'm interested in this downtown core area, especially, is just understanding better what happens with pedestrians and bikes and just anyone who's not a car, basically. Because so much of this area, when you're actually walking in it, is very broken up and it's just difficult to get around on foot. Um, it's not consistent. So yeah. as we go forward and as more building happens, understanding what the code is going to do there. I know there's been so much focus on it. I'm just curious how that ends up looking. Um, and that's something we're that's something we're looking at in the design standards too, and looking at focusing in especially on that area between the curb and the buildings. Yeah. So that kind of pedestrian and potentially bicycle space. Um, and we're working with um, Tim, a group of Tim Kim Dietz into doing an update on the design code. And it's very preliminary right now. So it'll, it'll be coming to you eventually, but it's, we're starting to look at that. And I would imagine you're probably also looking at like the, the streets as well. Is that, is that part of the streets? Yeah, so some of that will be addressed in the streets, especially if it's a, like a, in bicycles. Uh, right mm -hmm. now, it's, it's difficult to, as, as mm -hmm. Weston mentioned, it's difficult to walk and to bicycle anywhere in the downtown core. Okay. So in our current code, we have a pedestrian corridors classification system. Um, and as you might be, remember what we did in Overlake where we did a street classification system. We're looking at trying to figure out what that public ground, that building to curb spaces look like in different types of um, areas. So if it's intended to be highly walkable, lots of people on the curb, it's going to be a different look and feel and standards than if it's an area that not as much pedestrian traffic, but maybe a lot more bike traffic and car traffic. So, But there's a whole spectrum. And so the, that team is looking through a number of different things um, from that. And the design centers team is actually going even deeper into the actual development. So there's a number of things that our team is working on in conjunction with Kim Dietz's zoning code rewrite team um, related to that public realm conversation. And you'll see that in a couple of months. So, so does that 
Go ahead. Does that go. design standard also take into account, when you think about building to curb, does it also take into account like the, the, the tables and, and outdoor dining and which impact that? It'll take into consideration the public spaces um, and what needs to be included in them. And there's a number of different elements, uh, but it might be easier for me to have a separate conversation with that team and maybe provide a little briefing on what's coming, maybe at a future and just kind of walk through what all is included. Okay. I would hope, I would think, maybe hope, that consolidating the zones into a few big zones would make it easier to have some consistency throughout the downtown rather than the way it used to be where there are a lot of different I, I would hope so but I would love to see what that looks like so I can so I can envision that mm -hmm. but even within a particular zoning district especially downtown core because it's so spread out we're gonna have different areas that have much more pedestrian activity and so the street-based classification and the pedestrian realm classification system are going to be much more nuanced than just the zoning map itself um, but it'll be similar to what we did in Overlake. We'll, they'll have a map and it'll be labeled of what is the classification and then we'll have the standards that go with it. Well, I mean, yeah, like Redmond Way is going to be different than Cleveland Street. Right. So they're going to be in the same zone, but they're different streetscapes. And the other thing that we're trying to do is right now they're all kind of different. Like we adopted Mary Moore different than we did adopted Overlake. And so we're trying to smooth it all out so it's a little bit more consistent at least within our centers we have similar standards and then where there needs to be something unique we have okay and over like it needs to look slightly different Mary Mark needs to look slightly different but here's the standard that we're just modifying right just to simplify the understanding and, and unification of it Go ahead. and I'm assuming this will be touched upon just in terms of connectivity between the edges right and then the core areas um, because I think that that's going to be essential and it touches upon safety and um, the different modes of transportation yeah especially walkways and wayfinding. yeah and i know josh and the tmp group is working on a lot of that as well thank you i could it'd probably be a, a great briefing at another one just to kind of walk through all of the different conversations related to that good just had one more question about how um you're assessing where the um the popular pedestrian routes are um because Right now, um, like as someone who's tried to walk downtown a fair amount, it like there are a lot of routes where I actually would like to be a pedestrian, but right now, either because of construction or because of light timing, it's actually not a good route. So it's, I don't know exactly how the city is measuring that right now. It seems like it would be a really hard problem. That's something you want to try to tackle and answer with now or? <laughs> Let's get on the mic. Construction is making everything hard right now. It's not related solely to today. Yeah. We, we do have our pedestrian priority zones that we do measure, um, and it's based on um, the land use and the development that occurs, and, and there's just so much of it going on right now. And, and we do have these areas where we have built to our standards, but then we also have areas that are lacking facilities or facilities that don't meet the standards. And so we were, we're measuring those, but there's just so much occurring right now um, that it does, uh, I think, uh, 
pose a challenge when you're trying to navigate. Yeah. The other thing I do want to add into that. Decent time to bring up something I brought up in the past, which is, and it ties into a, you added a new policy about communication and education for people about transportation. Um, in the previous policy we were just discussing, or the um, transportation element, that uh, when we talk about alternate modes of transportation, that there is a real lack of clarity for people on what they're allowed to do. And, and then we talk about safety, right? Like, so the Lime scooters, and, and, and we've brought this up before, but it seems like if we're heading toward that conversation where there's gonna be some, any sort of briefing around this, that that would be a good thing to keep in mind again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, more outreach efforts, I think. Um, uh, wayfinding wayfinding uh, during these times when there's disruptions in the system with the construction are, are important, yeah. I will add, too, that a lot of the work that's been happening from our disability stakeholder engagement and uh, Mary's light rail accessibility project from last year was like identifying the areas where we might say certain standards need to be slightly different in these particular areas because they are high pedestrian zones and we need to make sure that they're fully accessible. And this option works better for all different types of mobility devices, right? And so there's a lot of different conversations that are being woven into uh, what's being considered. And there's a lot of work that's happening out of this team. <laughs> Transportation planners are just busy. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Any other questions on downtown? Okay. Thank you, Josh. So some other changes that are happening happening in terms of zoning um, are we are taking um, we have a new we have a land use designation citywide mixed use. Um, so that's taking a number of different zone, mixed-use zones that we have now or commercial zones and um, consolidating them into these corridor mixed-use and urban mixed-use. Um, it's a real streamline and simplify regulations. If you're noticing a theme, there's that. that's it. Um, so those are going to be the mixed-use zones that are outside of our centers. So our centers are all have a lot of mixed-use zones, but these are specifically ones that are outside of our centers. The resources that we link to in your packet for our online zoning consolidation website shows exactly what's going to what. And you'll see this was one of the more convoluted ones uh, because general commercial is going into a couple of different places, into different zones. Regional retail is going into urban mixed use. All the design districts are moving out. Um, so the table that is on the website might be very helpful when you're looking at the mixed use changes. There's a former commissioner who would be very happy to see all the design districts going away. <laughs> um, so this is highlighting um, on the on the left we have our urban mixed use district, and then on the right you see the corridor uh, mixed use districts. Um, and as you can see, the corridors are uh, sort of spread out uh, along our corridors. Um, and the mixed use is sort of re the excuse me the urban mixed use is replacing um, largely replacing the um, regional retail district. It is. I'm trying to think of what's there. The Target. Target yeah. The, is the Home Depot? 
like Kohl's. Yeah. Yeah. I was like forgetting where Home Depot is in relation to it, but it's that area. There are, uh, you can see large scale maps on the website that you can zoom into. It would be helpful. But sort of, yeah, where the, the big box retail is in the city. And the freeway dumps out. Mm -hmm. um, so it, the intent of it is to kind of, to sort of start to transform that big box retail into a more vibrant, walkable, um, mixed use area to allow more housing in there, but still primarily has, still have it be the retail, have a lot of retail there as well. Um, so like we see in a lot of urban areas, the retail in a, in a mixed use district. Um, and so keeping consistent, uh, raising the height a little bit to 60 feet and 85 feet with incentives, uh, the FAR is increasing slightly. Um, and yeah, having that broad mix of mixed of uses. And it's a, yeah, you can see the different districts that are going into the corridor mixed use um, in this chart. And so some just examples of different kind of corridor mixed-use style, some of the like building typologies we foresee for the corridor mixed-use area and for the urban mixed-use of what it could look like. So the neighborhood mixed-use is a new zone that we're implementing to um, implement this complete neighborhood concepts that we were talking about last summer. And its uh, purpose is basically to create um, walkable communities where people can get like their like a, a litter of milk or some stuff that they need. Like they don't have to take the car to get uh, some basic stuff that that uh you could have in like little corner stores so we still don't have um a lot of this um like far or locations decided but uh, we are still studying that and, and we're probably going to have some more decisions in the summer but the building types are going to be like home businesses um, maybe some little micro retail um some i don't know um using a, a, a a house and having like the first floor having some commercial space there and some coffee shops or like that so we, if we go to the next slide we can see um some examples of stuff that of commercial space that would probably be uh, what we're thinking about like having the same for example seven is um a co coffee shop in seattle and it's basically integrated into the neighborhood but it has like little spaces outside where you can eat or the other one some some of these are in vancouver I'm somewhere in Seattle. So having this little space that doesn't, where you can, what's commercial space where you can really walk to it and don't need to use your car and it's really integrated into the neighborhoods. Are there any questions on this one? Looks great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. On the materials on the website, you will notice that we do not have anything identified on the map yet right. with the zoning district. So that is to, a discussion to be had. So I had a little bit, I love the neighborhood mixed use. I think that is so cool. I would love to have that close to me. Um, the previous conversation about the big box stores, I feel a little bit awkward being the one defending them because I don't personally like them, but I do have a lot of people, the reason they come to Redmond is their kids' sports and Target. Um, and 
I have listened to impassioned conversations about how much better the Redmond target is because it's huge um, and how much they can't shop in their current car target. They have to drive from Seattle or Bellevue or Kirkland to get to ours. Um, I don't have, that is so subjective. I don't have any data behind it, but I am curious if you've talked at all to the big box stores to get a sense if that's a real issue or not, because I do think that it's serving, I mean, the parking lot's always packed. I do feel like it's probably serving a need somehow. I'm not entirely sure that um, it's not the right thing to just say, well, there was a time and place for this and it's moved on. But I do think there are a lot of people who are very attached to those big box stores and you make a lot of use of them. So I, I think weirdly, I'm actually advocating for possibly reconsidering that. Um, I'm not like, I'm not exactly sure what I'm arguing for here, but it's, yeah, it's just that I do see them actually serving a very real need. I imagine there's data somewhere that shows there's X amount of fewer Amazon deliveries as a result of having those big box stores. And, yeah. And just to be clear, we're intentionally designing this zoning district so that they don't go away, but it maybe gets redeveloped into the urban format of targets. Because Card does have an urban format that they use in Seattle and Bellevue and um, totally. And, and that's actually what I was specifically calling out because I've I keep getting trapped in conversations where people want to tell me about the Bellevue target. Mm -hmm not being usable, so then people drive to Redmond to go to the proper target. Um, I, I just, I think there's an element, there's some bit of truth in that, and I'm just. This doesn't force an urban target, it makes urban target possible. possible. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not familiar yeah. with the Bellevue urban target. What's wrong with, with Bellevue's target? It's allegedly very small. So one of the things that we're doing with these districts, the, the, these two in particular, uh, the corridor and urban, um, is we're designing them so that they're different than what you see downtown. It's not just the first floor that's commercial. Um, we're talking about a number of different ways that we could have like a percentage of the building might have to be non-residential. We're looking especially for the urban mixed use at a couple of patterns and uh, districts that other people have used where that's like a lot of different mixes are going into that building. Um, and one, uh, Odra gave us an example where the bottom floor, uh, the first floor underground was a bowling alley and then there's offices and a school and there's a whole bunch of things going on. And, um, and that's really the intention of that urban mixed use is to really get a lot of things going on in that building and not just have first floor, just a small percentage of non-residential. But it's on us to design this district in such a way that it protects that space and that commercial viability of that area because it really does provide an important service to our community. Um, and the engagement that we're gonna be doing on these zoning districts is gonna go through this year. Uh, these districts won't be adopted until next year. So we have a lot of conversations that we have to have with the property owners. And also to point out that one of the things that was suggested when we were talking about from a policy standpoint is potentially doing some type of master planning for this area, that regional retail zoning district right now, as a part of our neighborhood planning updates that we will begin after Redmond 
2050 completes. So that that would definitely be a very heavy conversation with the property owners. So um, this is the very beginning of this conversation. A lot of this will develop over the course of the year. But then as we go into after Redmond 2050, the neighborhood plan updates, it'll continue as we try to look at how do we make this redevelop in such a way that it really does protect that area and those things that people need it to stay. Yeah, so thank you. It's helpful to hear that even if it's anecdotally that people really value the size of it. And I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, when I, I do my big box retail shopping in Redmond as well. Um, so I, I appreciate that and understand that. So thank you for sharing. Uh, you know, it, it does resonate with this discussion with me because if our policies don't protect these big box stores, then you're going to have more people getting in cars people coming into the community with cars to deliver, people leaving the community just to shop. So that kind of counter, counter impacts some of the other policy decisions we've made. So I th yeah, I think the, the intention of the urban mixed use is not to necessarily make the, the big box store smaller, but it's to add those other uses in to create that kind of mixed use community. So it's not just the big box store, but hey, it's maybe you have housing there as well. And maybe you have entertainment there as well. So it's, I think we're thinking of it more as additive than subtracting. I can totally see the merits of multiple floors. Mm -hmm. um, additional height makes a lot of sense to me. I just, that um, like the smaller urban format target, I've just been in a weird number of conversations recently about how much people despise it. So it's just, it's just a little data point. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's great. It's great to know. Yeah, and I've I've been when it, in. I think their their downtown Portland one is really tiny too. Yeah, so I I understand. You go in, and it's only a couple of rows, and then where's the rest of it? Yeah, I get it. Okay. It, it, even as big box stores go away, you know, you don't want them to be replaced with all these tiny little retails so that you get the net effect. I'm sorry, I missed that. Even, you know, potentially as big box stores goes away, you don't want it to be, that footprint to be replaced with, with smaller footprint of stores mm -hmm. of the effect of, of, of losing the retail piece. Okay. Any other thoughts on the directions that we're going with, with these mixed use zones? Okay, great. And again, we'll be coming back to with a lot more information as we develop these out. This is just the beginning. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the last area that we want to introduce to you tonight is Marymore. Um, we are consolidating the zoning districts uh, in Marymore and there's some rezoning in there as well. Um, we have five Marymore design districts today inside the, the core area of Marymore. Um, we had originally gone out to the community last uh, March and April to have a lot of conversations about what do we want to do from a consolidation standpoint? What does people feel comfortable with? We had proposed and actually just consolidating it down to two, just super zipping it back up. Uh, the community came back and pushed back and said, no, they really do want to keep that concept that's in our code that we adopted in 2017 that has an edge to the park. Um, and it builds intensity slightly down <laughs> as we go closer to the park, but it really engages and activates the space and provides that permeability to and from the park, but in a less intense way than um, the areas that are more to the interior. Um, but we also got a lot of conversation um, in the last half of the, the year with property owners 
about where the lines should be drawn, right? If we do go with three instead of just two, uh, where do we call that buffer? And I actually had five or six different maps floating out there and we're talking to different property owners. And so what you see before you today is the result of a full year of conversation uh, with the community about what they would like to see. And so that's what we're moving forward with. Um, and so you see, we do have a Marymore core that is all of one and part of two, um, but basically capturing uh, whole blocks of areas that are right near the light rail station. So if you're the block right across, you're now actually pulled into that Marymore core, whereas a lot of that Marymore two uh, today is excluded from that um, higher density district in the one. So the Marymore core is very, very similar to um, what you see today as MDD one. And then Marymore edge is very similar to what we see in the MDD five um, from an intensity standpoint. Uh, and then uh, MDD four, we're just basically renaming to Marymore manufacturing. Uh, we're protecting that area. That was another thing that we talked about with the property owners and the community about do we wanna maintain that protectiveness of that manufacturing and the, the result was resoundingly yes. Go ahead and keep that protected. However, there were some provisions in there that says really limit retail um, in this area as another way to kind of protect um, that. And that they were easing off on that a little bit. The community didn't feel like they needed that type of protectiveness as much. And so there are a few changes in there, um, but mostly that Marymore manufacturing is just a rezoning uh, name change really. Uh, and then outside of that central area, we do have a general commercial areas that are going to urban mixed use and corridor mixed use. Um, Uh, lots of different pictures, just examples. This district is definitely intended to be highly pedestrian oriented. It is also our pilot neighborhood for an inclusive neighborhood. So it's intended to have um, heavy focus on inclusive design and that the incentive package will really incentivize those features. Uh, sustainability features, mass timber, that will also be a part of this district as well. Um, here's just a, a quick summary of the input. As I mentioned, there's a lot of engagement that happened over the course of last year. Uh, some of the conversations, including do we want to expand the Marymore district? There were some property owner requests just right across Redmond Way. Um, so a lot of feedback from last year. Um, as I mentioned, what you see before you in your packet tonight and in this presentation really reflects a lot of that stakeholder feedback. Um, we also do have a lot of uh, initial conversations about uh, the incentive package ideas and that would be moving forward over the next couple of months as well. Um, and this is just a, our summary page here. Uh, you'll see the Marymore core is a little bit higher than Marymore edge and Marymore manufacturing. What you see is the base is actually um, what is in today, what you could get with incentives. So it's bumping it up a tiny little bit, um, but we have a very low threshold for bu uh, building heights in Marymore today. Uh, what we are proposing though is a TOD focus area for Marymore uh, that would allow them with incentives to go up to 12 stories in that TOD focus area. And that was a part of our final EIS. Um, and so that is one of those proposals. Um, 
This map here, the red outline shows where we're proposing the TOD focus area. It is all of Marymore Core and most of Marymore Edge. It does exclude the apartment complex at the very end. It's a little bit further out and it's not going to redevelop anyway. We intentionally excluded the Marymore manufacturing. We didn't want to put extra pressure for redevelopment of that area. Um, and so it is not included. It is also we're not proposing the uh, urban mixed use or corridor mixed use at this time uh, from the growth allocations, uh, the rezoning to those districts accommodates the growth that we need um, in that area. So, okay. Red area, the urban mixed use, the, you know where the little vitamin store is? There's that whole dead space where there's like the equipment rental, vitamin store across the street from Whole Foods. Um, the little shops are down here in the corridor. North of there, keep going up, up, up. But if you go up, ah, right this there. is where, yeah, the Whole Foods and the Pancake House and the hotel. Up. On the other side of the street then, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, behind Home Depot. There's like dead space back there. Oh, uh, there's an area that's protected uh, trees. Uh, yeah, there's a parcel there that is protected permanently for the trees. Um, we are not proposing a lot of changes going on across the street right now, but a reminder that this corridor is one of the corridors that we identified for after Ribbon 2050 as a part of our corridor uh, planning. So uh, this was actually one of the highest priorities, so it'll probably be one of the first that'll go. One thing that would really help me in the conversations going forward is if you could say what percentage of Marymore Core and Marymore Edge have all but already been redeveloped. Um, because my sense is that it's sort of a shrinking, like a rapidly shrinking set of properties that we're even thinking about. Am I... There are some properties that have already come in for redevelopment, um, but... There's actually quite a lot, a lot in here, but the area is small, right? The neighborhood's not that big. Um, but we've been talking to, I'd say, the property owners of the vast majority of the land that's left for redevelopment. I've been having a lot of conversations with the last couple of months. There's a lot of movement in there, um, a lot of desire to explore their options of what's coming up under the new code. Uh, so we're um, going to continue those conversations, obviously, as we move forward with the draft revisions. But uh, they've been actually extremely helpful for fine-tuning options to move forward. So we'll continue to have that close conversation. But there are a couple of parcels that are already well underway in the review process. Um, but there is definitely a lot of opportunities still left. I would say that we want to get this done sooner rather than later, so it's good that we'll have it adopted next year um, because the momentum for this area is not slowing down. Yep, that's great. Thank you. Okay. Um, that's all we had. Uh, we're happy to answer any more questions, but again, our main question for you tonight was, are we in the right direction? Are we, do you see anything we were missing? I think it looks good. So I haven't actually seen um, before how you go from policy to zoning. I think we saw some of it with Overlake, but it just in terms of how that process actually works and how you decide whether or not you're actually um, like meeting all of the policy changes, I, I 
love just a little bit of insight into how that happens. Um, it doesn't have to be right now. It's just, I'm curious. Yeah, it's actually, the de full development of the zoning districts are 100% the implementation of the policies. Um, and there's a reason for that because legally it, we have to build the one on top of the other and we need to make sure they're all fully integrated. So none of the zoning districts are brand new ideas. They're just manifestations of the ideas that we adopted as the vision. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of choices that have to go in. The exact building height or the exact incentive we want to do or for instance our TOD focus area boundaries. So. Those are the things that are nuancing right now, um, but the actual zoning district itself is really based on how much growth would we put in this area in our preferred alternative, right? So how much room do we need? And what are the uses that went into that? Um, and so there's a lot of conversations happening. I mean, I think the, the neighborhood mixed use district is a really good example of yeah. um, sort of that deliberative process from policy to zoning and that we're in the middle of right now. So. We heard this concept, we, we heard initially, people want a more walkable community. Okay, well, how do we do that? Well, we need to have, then we went, well, we need to have commercial uses in our neighborhood, in our neighborhoods. So we started talking in the policy about complete neighborhoods and did community outreach on that. And now we have an idea of what the uses are and the scale that people want. And the concept of the neighborhood mixed use district is a direct result of that conversation. And now as we're implementing it, well, where is that gonna go? What is that gonna look like in terms of our zoning code? So I think that's a really good example of yeah, how community conversation goes from converse, community conversation and idea to, policy. to a policy to law zoning. and zoning. Um, and yet, and that's gonna be an ongoing conversation because it's because it's a sort of, it's a brand new concept in the city. Okay. Okay. Any more questions? Let's stop it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple of months with some more detailed information. We're also uh, working on finalizing what we want the incentive package to be for downtown and Marymore. As you remember, we hired a consultant to do some cost evaluations, so we're going to be figuring out what we want them to evaluate and having that moving forward. We'll bring that back information, information to you as well. Um, but you'll see a lot of this continue. And again, the conversations about the mixed-use districts are going to be ongoing for the course of the year. All right, thank you. Thank you. Okay, staff commissioner updates. Ian. Thank you, Chair. We have two main updates. The first is yesterday at City Council, the uh, council was uh, continuing their discussion of housing element and associated regulations and a splish splash of the Overlake component as well. Chair Nichols took uh, time out of their busy schedule to show up and provide the council with a uh, background of the discussion and development, all the conversations we had and the collaborative effort to get to that ultimate recommendation. Uh, we went through an issues matrix about the various questions that they had brought up at the previous council meeting. Um, and overall, my interpretation is that they had relatively few questions. Manager Churchill asked for a kind of a temperature check. Do they think we're going in the right direction? And it seemed affirmative to that effect. 
I only have a couple of follow-up questions to uh, provide further information to them on. But overall, seems like they, they're on board with what you recommended. And I want to communicate that they emphasized their appreciation for the hard work that this team did to get to those thoughtful recommendations. Um, and the second update is that we have a meeting on February 28th, as normal. And we also have a meeting on March 13th. Now, March 13th is another public hearing. So while all meeting quorums are important, March 13th is especially important. Please let staff know our availability to make sure that we get that quorum. Thank you. Okay. Any commissioner updates? Go ahead. I just have one, it's kind of a, an announcement. I don't know if there's any interest, but tomorrow the Bellevue Chamber of Commerce is hosting a lunch, um, but the topic is around renewable energy. So they have members, um, at least a panel from Puget Sound Energy um, and some private, uh, private businesses as well. So I thought if anybody has an interest, there you go. Okay, thank you. Anything else? If not, I look for a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. We're adjourned. Aye.